welcome to When Burnout Becomes Reality, a podcast that combines lived experience with the scientific knowledge of burnout to help listeners prevent, recover and grow from burnout. My name is Shannon Swales, a human and clinical psychologist with both lived experience and scientific knowledge and skills in burnout. It is my hope that the values of authenticity, compassion, wisdom and community shine through in each and every episode of the pod. Episodes that share my own and others' lived experiences of burnout and interviews experts, guests to help listeners build awareness and hope to prevent, recover and grow from burnout. The views, opinions, tips and the like expressed by myself or my guests are not a replacement of personalised therapy. Just like I have done for myself and many of my guests, I encourage those of you that are suffering to seek professional help. Episode 25 brings you the work and burnout lived experience of April, a story that spans 20 plus years with ebbs and flows in and out of burnout. She shares from her early working life experience being a young teacher, facing many challenges a lot of teachers will recognise out there. She shares so personally how this impacted her and the challenges she faced and how she overcame them. She shares with us her change in career and what that looked like, and not just once over, but a couple times over. And again, just shares that vulnerability of how that impacted and how she navigated her health during that time. There is so much wisdom to glean from April that I have split this episode into two, with part two being released shortly after part one. And I encourage you to listen to it all with your heart open, your ears pricked and primed to listening make sure that you have a cuppa listen to this in parts if you need to but everyone's story has something pearls lots of pearls of wisdoms I think but has something that we can all relate to and take away from it so sit back and listen and enjoy take care of you hi April and welcome to the pod how are you this morning I'm good I'm good how are you yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you so much for your willingness to to come on to the pod and 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 share your lived experience of burnout with us. Um, as I said off air, I'm um, absolutely in awe and uh, inspired by people's willingness to to do this to to share their story. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. That's okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's first start off uh, with kind of what was life like or what what did life involve pre-burnout pre when things got too much like what was work of course but also just life you know um Mm. can you fill me in yeah definitely um well first of all I might give not too much time but just um just a little bit of my childhood up until maybe starting university or getting through to the end of uni um and then we can kind of go on from there um so yeah we'll start from that so I am the oldest of three um, there's me and then there's my younger brother who's about three years younger than me and then our sister who is eight years younger than me um, and f- there's five years difference between my brother and my sister so we all of us three together 
we're all quite different, but you know, we've got the family lines where, you know, we can, you can definitely tell we're brothers and sisters. Um, but growing up, all three of us were very, very busy and I just had the most fantastic childhood. My parents mm. did a, such a great job of raising all three of us. Mm. Um, I was always very, um, very involved in school. I was quite good academically and got into all the sporting things and like the cultural things, the community mm. spirits. Um, I worked really, I was good at things, but I also worked really hard to achieve them. Um, I also, I guess one of my life philosophies or one of my values is, um, and I, I use this with my, with my husband and also with my son, um, don't oh, take advantage of every opportunity that you have. And I definitely did that when I was in high school, especially there would be things that would happen, uh, things that I would find out about and I'm like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to give that a go. I wasn't, so not ducks as such, but we had, uh, I guess, like community spirit or <sighs> those kind of things. So traditionally the principal's award at school and the student of the year awards were traditionally given to anyone who was in well, basically year 12 students. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually picked up one of them in year 11 and then the other one in year 12. So, you know, as you can kind of see, like I was just throwing myself at everything. Yeah, I, go, I think you use the phrase go-getter. You really yeah. do and really showed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And I think it was either year 11 or 12, um, sports person of the year as well. Um, outside of, oh, I found myself in the counselor's room a few times going, mm -hmm. I am just a really quite busy. I just need some help and some advice about catching up on my schoolwork because I've just been too busy representing the school and, you know, doing my own things and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I just, I feel so busy, um, yeah. but not hectic. It was just, it was busy, but not hectic. Like every, I could handle everything. Yes. Yeah, so um, still meaning, you know, like you were keeping mostly above water. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. hectic that you were drowning. You know, like no, no. And it would have been easy. Well, try to tell me not what to not do. Wouldn't have been hard. But I think at that time I had enough skill to be able to go, you know, if I'm really busy and, you know, this is getting bad, I would have enough agency to be able to say, oh, yeah, well, I've got to cut that out of my life. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's other priorities. You've got to make sure these priorities are going first and then let's get rid of the other stuff so you can concentrate on that. So you could do that balancing act of removing yeah. it. There wasn't barriers to doing that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I need to remove that. Focus on this. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. 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 Cool. Outside of work, I think I started my first part-time job when I was maybe like 15 or 16 or something. Um, I was heavily involved in my local swimming club and still to this day um you know think back fondly on all those memories yeah. of um just being in a i guess a community not that you realize it at the time all of this stuff that's going to come out today is hindsight <laughs> and yeah. you know reflecting and you know oh that's what that is and that's why i had such a good time or uh, such a bad time or whatever um but yeah just being in that community where all the kids just had that one thing that they all really loved together mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's one of those really great memories from childhood that I want to be able to provide as an opportunity for my son moving mm. forward. So, um, got to the end of high school, year 12, um, I got early entry through the university to get in to do, well, I kind of knew before all of the, it was back, it was OPs, overall positions back then, um, but knew quite early on before everybody else that I was accepted to go and study um, Bachelor of Primary Education, Christmas mm -hmm. University, the Logan mm -hmm. campus. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. That, like, life was mm -hmm. really great. Yeah. Yeah. 
when I mean, you mentioned there, there was a couple of you know going to a counselor, recognizing I'm busy and just needing a little bit of help reorganizing or, or you know something mm. there. When did um I suppose in your lifetime, when did you notice sort of that you were sinking? Maybe I know that's my analogy. You know the yeah yeah things becoming hectic and and I suppose those and it might be in reflection those first mm. signs of burnout. You know because. Sometimes we don't know until we're in the full kind of stages of burnout. Um, but, yeah, when did that sort of start creeping in? What was happening? Um, I think, well, yeah, hindsight again. But looking back on it, because no one, you know, no one signs himself up and goes, yes, I'm on the road to burnout. So I'm going to keep charging ahead. <laughs> no one does that. Um, so, yeah, it's all hindsight. But I would say I started to show symptoms. Actually, it would be from my second day of teaching would be where it's where it started from wow. not that I knew it at the time but then um, I ended up on antidepressant medications by probably oh but after about one and a half or two no, two years into my teaching te- uh, so teaching it, job was that outside of so you finish university because there's practicums what I understand in teaching those practicums so going in so this was once you're graduated and you're in your you know, paying job. As yeah, a, yeah, big yeah. girl job, I guess, you know, that's yeah. real. <laughs> but, yeah, so second day of teaching, but a year, two years into it was when things got real, yeah. Yeah, to the point where I was like, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. All of the, so all of my pracs in the four mm-hmm. years, two, three and four, excellent, great, mm-hmm. worked really hard, got really good results and feedback, you're going to be excellent. And then you get into a um got my first teaching gig and back then it was a six-month contract it was at a well maybe like a middle-sized type school um here in like the suburbs of brisbane Uh, it was back in the days when year seven was still in primary school so i signed up for this six-month contract on a year seven class um, they said, all right, it, there's going to be 28 kids. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's like at capacity based on what the unions are saying class sizes should be at that time. And I know what I'm about to say now. I know every teacher who is listening is going to go, oh, my God, I could write this myself because I have heard so many people say this and it's the same for every, almost every teacher. Spent a lot of time in on the school holidays before school started putting pretty things up on the walls, um, you know, getting all of your diaries and your check mark books and like just preparing everything, spending a lot of your own time not being paid yet to set up the classroom because you want to just make, have the you know best day on your first day. So that was great. Um, and then first day rolls around and I had 32 students in my class and it was, I, you know, I drove home going, ha ha. I've survived my first day. That's, you know, that's great. That's excellent. Um, But it was pretty challenging. It was very diverse, very culturally diverse um, in terms of the levels of how the kids were operating. I didn't know this on the first day, but you work out, work it out. Um, Students that were working at maybe year one or year two level in terms of their literacy and their numeracy, Um, but they're in their 12 and 13 year old bodies. So they've got, you know, the teenage puberty, adolescent kind of stuff happening already. I honestly promise you, I would cry driving home five days a week. Five days. Yep. First day, fine. But yeah, second, uh, from the second day onwards. And that's, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but from hindsight, yep, that's when my whole, I guess, big girl career 
kind of mm. that would be the pinnacle day where it started to fall apart yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like I mean that's such a very common reported sign of mm. burnout that that um emotional outpouring and you know comes out and crying it can, can come out in other ways for people that might be aggression you know when normally there isn't um you know aggression but yeah for a lot of people I've spoken to it's the crying um mm. and it's the to and from work it was yeah. like certainly for me as well Curious, like, was there other besides the, I mean, besides the crying, which is pretty intense, were there other things that that you noticed were stunning or upon reflection, sort of other things that were showing up in your behavior or your emotional and mental well being that were like, okay, yeah. Um, um, well, I think it kind of, I'll talk to, to this now, but I think over the next year and a half to two years, um, just this is where I'd like to really hone in on the psychosocial hazards because I think, well, in reflection again, um, this is where it all fell apart for me and is still affecting, like I'm in my late 30s now, still affecting me today to the point where I'm in burnout and not working. (laughs) So, um, yeah, when I said I would cry five days a week, uh, yeah, first day of fine, I would cry Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, I would not cry because I could burn rubber out of the car park, see you later for dust at five minutes past three. But I would drive home to my parents' house. So over that Christmas, New Year period, um, you know, finish uni, you know, you're a big girl now. I was only like 21 and so young and naive and had no idea about anything, um, but moved out of home. So, you know, I handled that fine, but still that's a big transition in life. But on Friday afternoons, I would um, drive home to my parents' place and then think and be guilty all weekend. Oh, when am I going to go home? When am I going to go home? And sometimes it would get to Sunday at 8 o'clock p.m., Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday night and I'd be like oh my god I've got to go and I would just cry all the way home knowing that I have to go back to work on the Monday so yeah um, so this was a six-month contract and by about week three or week four I think it's a long time ago now but around about then in my head I started thinking you know what I don't think this is this is this is not comfortable for me <laughs> this is not right this is way too you know out of control this is not like any of my practice on reflection now and on hindsight and knowing what I know now, it was at that point that the whole teaching game for me changed tact, completely changed. So, you know, why do people want to work in early childhood or teaching? It's because they love the kids and they want to see growth and they want to see their, you know, I'm going to teach this kid this thing and then see that, you know, get the feedback of, oh, yes, now they can do it. I, yeah, I, can't really give any examples over my teaching career Mm -hmm. of when that has happened for me because at that point I was like all right how am I going to maximize the money side of things for me I've just moved out of home I'm paying rent now you know I'm a big girl Um, this is my first real-time job and I really want to make this work so how am I going to do it Um, I decided in my head yeah I'm gonna I'm going to pull out of this contract environment so Mm -hmm. term two was at a different school um and that cruised along okay Okay. um and then yeah was there anything particularly different for you that made you cruise all right there compared to the other place um it was a it was a year four class Mm -hmm. less kids and they were a bit younger so they're a little bit more oh I need you 
like they're still, you know, they're big grown up. They don't need you to tie their shoes and pull their pants up and all of that kind of stuff, but they still needed you to a degree. Yeah. Uh, so it was just, it was a lot more endearing to be with the younger kids. Yeah. Um, and also, I th- yeah, I actually had a, quite a lot of experience at that school with my prax and I also did an internship at, one, at that school as well. So I was quite familiar yeah. with how the whole landscape worked and the people there. I can see the, those protective factors there that helps support you at that time, you know, just that so, the, the environment and mm. you've been there before and also the kids and and the fact that it wasn't 32, like the, the how many you had as well. So, yeah, it helped you, yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, supported your emotional mental well-being because, um, yeah, there was some good social factors around you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so that was that was a positive experience. But same again was what I said before. It was still from that point onward, well, from earlier, but basically from that point onwards, it was like, all right, how do I how do I play this game for me financially and uh, I guess a few other factors. So I did that contract and by was getting to the end of it, and that school said, okay, well. The other, the teacher's not coming back. We can offer you a three-month contract. And then in the meantime, there was another school that I had heard of from um, that was going to offer me six months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take away the fact that, all right, how can I make a difference in a child's life or in mm-hmm. children's lives? It wasn't about that for me at that point because oh. I was desperate <laughs> contingency work. Um, it was more about, all right, which of these, which is going to give me the longevity in terms of employment? Mm-hmm. So I decided, all right, well, six months sounds better to me. Mm-hmm. I'll have to, I'll go with that. Um, so I did, it was back on year seven. It was at a, it was actually at my, oh, it was actually at my, um, the primary school that I went to as a student. Back on year seven. Um, so that went well. Um, yeah, generally pretty well. Um, but also keeping in mind, this is my first year of teaching and I'm now at my third school and, um, it got around to the end or towards Christmas time and it's this one's quite a large school and how it worked was everyone got a all the staff got a piece of paper um, with some questions on it. What what would you like to do next year? Would you like to be probably in the second last week of school where she where they brought me into the into the room and basically sat down and the principal said, Okay, April, so I've allocated most of the other job, most of the other permanents, well, all of the other permanents. Um, we've taken care of all the people transferring. We've taken care of all of the contractors, except you're the next on the list. And unfortunately, I don't have any positions for you for next year. And I was like, oh, okay. And then in the next breath, they said, however, we've had two people who are basically one year behind me. So in university this year, but their first year will be next year. We're, just so that you're aware, the, there's two people and they have contracts, but you don't. And I was like, okay, how does this even work with, you know, experience? I've got a year experience now, which I know is not very much, but it is more experience than these other two people that have just been you know, interning, how does that even work for me? So I was quite devastated. But also on top of that, given, you know, my longevity and my history with going to the school as a, as a student and then working at their after-school care during, uh, during university and that kind of thing. Like I just felt completely shot in the heart, a bit smushed. Oh, my God, what am I going to do now? <laughs> Not only, yes, Michelle, but yeah, also that anxiety around because you said that priority, you know, you're a big girl now and got bills to pay that 
financially as well. Like, yeah, to be shot in the heart by a school and system that means so much. She had that, you know, long time relationship with them and yeah, all that disappointment dealing with and then that anxiety around and stress around money, you know, because that that I mean there's a lot of studies to show that that is the um, the biggest thing that mm. um, affects our stress levels is that financial security around being able to keep a roof over our head and pay the bills. Yeah. Food in our belly. Yeah. So here you are. Yeah. A tough year. Um, mm. Trying to find your legs in, in this profession and find a spot that doesn't make you cry every day. Um, yeah. As, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so tell yeah sorry keep keep going yeah yeah so i'll keep going so um yeah obviously a bit smushed um at that point in time i so when it got to seven eighths of the way through my university like middle of the last final year i had saved enough money worked really hard and i took myself to thailand for three weeks um it part of it was on a tour and then part of it like before and after my own thing and I just had the absolute best time of my whole life up until that point and was like all right doesn't matter what I end up doing for the rest of my life I know that travel is going to feature in it because I've just had the best time um and so I can't remember when it was during that year but basically I got on a red eye flight like finished school this is a week and a half out from this oh sorry you don't have a job um, yeah. red eye flight either Friday night or Saturday morning or something um, and flew into Thailand again and basically spent the next five and a half or six weeks uh, mm-hmm. Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, flew home mm-hmm. from Vietnam and then got back and like had another job which I'll talk to in a second but mm-hmm. I just found well, all of my travel that I had done as an independent person before I met my husband, before I had any, you know, children or any real commitments, I guess, yeah. um, I just felt so liberated. Yeah. I just loved it. I loved immer- um, immer- um, immersing myself in the culture. Yeah. And part of it was, you know, freedom. And yeah. it's like, not that I wasn't being me during all of those teaching times and, you know, the hard, yeah. the daily grind of work of work and every day. Um, but just being in a different culture, I just felt so much freedom. Mm. Well, Amazing. Like, like they talk about, um, I don't know if you've come across it, but in, um, in the burnout literature, they talk about having an outside world, something that mm. completely triggers other aspects of our brain, you know, and not just the, like often our work life might be more goal orientated and, you know, planning and organizing using certain aspects of our brain, but the importance of having something outside that, you know, is aligned with our interests and and, and things that, you know, are of value and importance to us, but also might be more aligned with creativity or something else it might be tapping into. Um, it doesn't have to be completely opposite, but yeah. And it sounds like travel and, and that, I mean, definitely, obviously from your early life experience that you, you shared with us already, that there's a bit, that's a big part of you. Yeah. 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 And I met some really fantastic people, Aussies, um, because generally t- well, it's probably it. changed a whole lot these days just with COVID. Yeah. And then, you know, we're now 15 years in the future, but um, yeah, back then a lot of Aussies on these particular tours and even today I'm still in contact with them. Um, yeah, more than, you know, high school friends or anything like that. So 
but so coming back from that you know fulfilling that part of you and that energy that it gives you to travel and yeah how were you feeling coming back home and yeah well um I ha I can't remember like I said it's a long time ago I can't remember if this was for the job that I went into next or some other job I'm not really sure but I actually ended up having a phone interview as I was crossing from the like across the Thailand into Cambodia border for a job Mm -hmm. um so yeah even on holidays when you're not even in the country I was trying to work out my life (laughs) trying to work out my work life um and so when I got back by then I had confirmed whatever my next gig was I can't remember how it all happened but basically so second year out um we're going to my fourth fifth and sixth schools of my for you know in my career I guess um I was doing a physical education I was a lot fitter back then um so I guess asterisks to that just because you're good at sports and you like doing it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be enjoyable to teach to students yeah yep um (laughs) so this job I think I can't remember if it was a three month or six month contract but I did it for three months but it was what's called a circuit so I had three schools that I had to go to every week that was very very busy and hindsight again psychosocial hazards my gosh that was when I experienced them doesn't necessarily learn about them but experience them for um lots of these school two of these schools in particular were in very low socioeconomic places mm-hmm. um so generally what that means is that students are, they, are they're quite it's difficult mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a lot of um you know difficult behaviors that you've got to deal with so based on that so when i used to, when i went to my monday job which was school a only the only the teachers that i had classes on at that time would talk to me on that day and then when I rocked up on the Friday only the Friday teachers would talk to me so it was usually things like oh yes April you're here great you get to take my kids away from me for half an hour I'm so happy about that um and so you know that didn't really make me feel valued as to what I was actually there for it was more about you know great I get a rest for half an hour which I totally get I totally understand but when you're talking to a colleague and you know obviously I was young at the time um, and you know still trying to find my way and find my feet it doesn't really yeah it doesn't really consolidate the whole oh yes you're here because you're really good at teaching physical education to our children and you know it's integrating into the rest of our curriculum and that kind of thing so that was really quite tough yeah without them really knowing or meaning to what that came across was it was devaluing Mm. um, your role and your position um growing that and I suppose not having because one of the things that are real protective factor around dealing with stressful work environments is the um support from other colleagues and feeling yeah that's right um and and not like you know of course talking about the stresses but also helping and supporting where we can you know even if it is just lending or not to minimize that because that's actually quite Mm. powerful lending an ear um and yeah like uh and and supporting especially the the early career um teachers but each other as well but they yeah it wasn't that it was more like okay (laughs) go babysit my kids um yeah 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 Yeah. and so my tuesday school Obviously, I was only there one day a week and Wednesday school only there for one day a week. So in terms of me trying to make relationships with my colleagues, Mm -hmm. didn't happen. Didn't have time. No one's got time. 
never try and not no time to as well it takes time to yeah try. yeah yeah yeah. Um, so and there was no like like line managers or, you know, your leadership, so your middle management and also executive, they didn't necessarily, um, you know, make time or make, create situations where it would be easy to, you know, initiate. Like, for example, in the staff room, you can put, uh, I don't know, a bunch of cookies or something in the middle of the table and then automatically people just gravitate to it and then it's like oh yeah these are you know nice cookies whatever oh yeah my name's April like no none of that it's sad though I truly believe that most most line managers and or executive if you're losing staff doesn't matter what industry it is it's because they just so they're not aware and they're not um, well, no, no awareness, but then also no education or understanding of that particular human factor. Yeah, no, that's what I think too. I think they're often under resourced, meaning not don't have the training for those mm. interpersonal skills that are needed. But hey, um, so you were, you know, coming back working this job that, yeah, certainly couldn't, you know, there just wasn't any of those situations or even time given to connect and and find your place and sense of belonging in these workspaces. And so how long were you in that position for? Um, So the PE circuit, that was a, um, that was just term one of whatever year it was, or my second year, term one. Um, And then, I don't know, I either it was just three months or I pulled the pin on a six month contract or something. Cause I was like, this is not working for me either. And then I ended up um, during that term one for term two, going and doing an interview at a school that was a lo- like a long way away because I figured, all right, well, I'm trying all of these Brisbane, you know, inner suburb type schools. Let's, you know, broaden the horizon a little bit and just see if it's different somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I went and interviewed and ended up getting a, um, a job at uh, a school that was west of Ipswich. So I was living in um, western suburbs of Brisbane at that time and would drive to um, west of Ipswich. So round, well, one way. Uh, good news was I was going against traffic because, you know, who drives west of Ipswich for work? <laughs> um, but it would take maybe 40 minutes or, yeah, 40 minutes to drive there. Um, on you know good day Um, I do remember when I drove out there for the interview I I actually cried in the interview I cried the the emotional part of it for me at that point was that um, you know okay so I've been teaching now for a year and a half if I come and work at this school that will be my seventh school in a year and a half Mm -hmm. and I just don't feel like I've had any kind of professional success yet because I haven't stuck Mm -hmm. around with any group of kids for long enough to see any growth or see any of my hard work pay off in terms of their learning development and that kind of thing so that was like a big emotional thing for me at the time yeah you said through sharing that early career so far that you've said that a few times that this is my fifth or my sixth and now seventh Mm. job and yeah you got into this to see that growth so yeah that was really catching up with you then and coming out in the interview that emotion around that experience at the time yeah feeling like you weren't succeeding so I drove away from that interview that afternoon and even evening it's probably dark by then um feeling guilt and shame and oh my god I just cried in that interview there is no way I'm getting this role somehow I got it and um basically so I went to that school in my second year second term I'm on year six seven composite 
um, the the teacher who was taking that class went off, did whatever their thing was at the time and then came back. So in term three and term four, I was still at the same school, but I changed classes again mm-hmm. um, to a year three and year four. And I ended up having them for six months, mm-hmm. um, which was good. So same school, but still skipping around within the school. <sighs> it was around about at that, yeah, half halfway through second year through to the end where I really started to notice, yeah, like mental health, like I'm driving to school, I'm crying most days. I think I need to get onto some kind of medication about this or, you know, it's getting bigger than what I feel like I can handle. On the outside of work too, I mentioned when I was doing that PE circuit, I didn't feel like I was making any connections with staff or, you know, work Mm. friends. And even to this day, I haven't worked now for about eight months, but Mm. even to this day, I only have one one friend from all of the work that I've done in the last 15 years, one person Mm -hmm. who I would consider to be a friend who I've made through work who I'm still friends with. Mm -hmm. And I was recently, I was writing a paper for my postgrad studies and that realisation happened for me in like a, wow, light bulb. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is why I struggle to make, um, to make friends just in general. And I have Mm -hmm. a very small social circle because Mm -hmm. of all of these psychosocial factors that I've experienced in my early career part, which is Mm -hmm. when you really kind of, you're establishing all of your friendships. So at that time, so about a year and a half, three to two years, had obviously all of that stuff going on at work but outside of life I did have one friend who had been originally from Melbourne but they were moving back to Melbourne so I feel like that was a big loss in my life um had a partner at the time but that wasn't really going well as well um and then you know questioning uh what am I doing in this teaching career because that's not working like there was just a lot going on yeah so worked for towards that you know and then to yeah, it's a big, big question. Like I, I know mm. I talk to a lot of people experiencing burnout where the career question comes up, you know, is this what I'm meant to be doing? And then, well, if I'm not doing this, what the hell am I going to be doing? And that is scary. I mean, for mm. you at that time, you know, this is not working out. What am I going to do? What was that like for you? Um, well, so, yeah, a year and a half, two years, somehow I ended up um, booking in, going and seeing a psychologist, so mm-hmm. talking therapy, that was really good, CBT at the time, mm-hmm. um, and that was helpful. Um, and then I also, over the Christmas New Year period, the previous year I'd spent yahooing around in Asia, that was great. This year I just, I stayed at home, but um, got onto medications and it just, anyone who's tried medications before, sometimes the first one that you try just takes, you know, four to six weeks to kind of kick in and it's just, it plays with your mind, plays with your emotions, plays with your adrenaline level, like it plays with everything. So I just remember it was definitely depression at that point. Um, I remember just feeling so dark and gloomy mm-hmm. and the only way that I felt that I could escape it was just sleep. So of the f- five or six weeks between year two and year three for me, I probably slept more than than not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so partly because I was so tired and exhausted, but also because if I was sleeping, I just couldn't feel the darkness. Yeah. That way to cope, like to cope yep. with the darkness, the depression, yeah. 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 So it had got, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Got yeah. That, that it was depression. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward into my third year. Um, mm-hmm. So I was still at the same school, my seventh school. Um, and I had, I don't even know, like third year in, 
I had a five, six, seven composite class. Um, but yeah, they gave that to me. And uh, yeah, it was like up until then. And when I talk about it now, and then when I reflect back, those first three or two, yeah, two and a half years of teaching, they were my uh, character building years. I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, and they were definitely, yeah, character building. On the, so traditionally what happens with um, teachers is that when they come back to school in the new year, in January, February, they'll spend that first week, there's like two or three days where it's teachers only. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, the very first, I guess, per, um, professional development sessions that we had, um, it was still west of Ipswich, so all the local schools kind of came into the big high school hall and it was a big presentation for a lot of people. But it was a presentation, something about building emotional strength and resilience and all of those good things in your students. So as soon as I found out about that and they started like two sentences, two st statements in from this presenter, I just burst into tears, put my hands over my eyes so no one could see me and put my head down because I just had this overwhelming sense of, oh my God, I have just had the most shit five weeks with depression and adjusting and whatever. I can barely hold it together for myself. How am I going to build and do all of this stuff for my students when I'm not even in a place where I can do it for myself yet? And sometime later on in that day, I went to my principal and I said, look, this is what I've had over the, over the holidays. I am not in a, a mental health space to be able to even sit here and keep doing this today. Mm. I've got this really complex class. Like I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and that person at the time said, all right, yep, there's definitely, you can use EAP. There's support systems that you that you can use and access through um, Education Queensland. Um, and I'll get you some details about it. But from that day on, there was not really any follow-up. Okay. There's no follow-up from the principal at the time to, oh, have you accessed that? Or, you know, can we make flexible work arrangements where, mm -hmm. and still at this time, I think I'm aged maybe 24. So still so young and naive and didn't really know what I'm doing. And and, and if I'm hearing rightly too, it was a focus on what you could do, you know, like in mm. terms of going to see someone individually for therapy and, and what, you know, you certainly shared is that, um, and, and we know about burnout particularly, you know, uh, workplace-triggered stress is that it's workplace factors that are contributing yeah. or triggering off the, the the stress and keeping us stressed because the workload expectations, the, yeah, it, it's often um, beyond even a well person, you know, a person who's well enough um, capacity, eventually they're going to burn out. Um, and but no willing, well, and I suppose maybe back then to, not really understanding that, you know. Yeah. Um, even when you said they were presenting on resilience to help the students, which, yeah, I was thinking, okay, another workload on the teachers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. About what about support for the teachers and and yeah, um, changing things in the system. Anyway, I know you know this stuff. And, yeah. Because <laughs> right, yeah, but like, oh, and which is beautiful that they're of course linking you into therapy and getting that kind of support. I'm not saying that that's not necessary or helpful, but that we need to also look at this other side. We need to look at this workplace factors and changing those things up to support the, the teachers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But particularly when, you know, a teacher's not doing well, what can we change in their workload to support them? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so we'll sorry. keep powering on. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. All of this stuff is, you know, exciting in hindsight, but holy moly, you don't want to, you know, you wouldn't choose to go through it if you didn't have to. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah, let's do <laughs> again and be like, let's avoid this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think at that time I was still in contract in my third year and I think contracts at that time, for whatever reason, you could they could only offer six months at a time. My principal, same person as what I was saying before, my principal came to me and on um, one particular morning and said oh actually um, I have got there's a space it's you know we've checked with all the HR people I can actually offer you permanency and so back then and even now people or maybe not so much now with everything but um, back then people were just chasing that PP I want permanency because it's stability it's you know you know you're going to the same location every day um, you can get forced transfers but you can argue them for, based on all sorts of reasons but basically permanency was the goal mm-hmm. and I was just like oh wow like I have been trying to chase permanency I've been trying to you know this last two and a bit years now I've been trying to get something that is secure but on that day you know five or ten minutes after that person stepped out of the room I just had this like weird surreal people overuse the word surreal but this was surreal kind of vision in my mind where I was staring down this huge big round black tunnel whoa and then it was getting smaller and smaller and smaller because you're going further away and right at the end was this tiny little little tiny white light and I just felt doom and gloom like the associate the feelings and association of that was just doom and gloom for me and I think now it's because I've had all of that uh you know changing schools and psychosocial hazards not that I was using that terminology and vocabulary at the time but now knowing um and then you know having that focus from oh I want to be you know this amazing person in every child's life that's helping them to uh, flourish and blossom like that had completely gone by that stage I was just you know going along yeah um had been yeah totally squished totally squashed due to yeah yeah the system Mm. yeah so I decided, you know what? No, it's not for me. Um, I'm I'm not going to take up permanency, even though you know two years ago would have been great. No, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I oh, there's one other thing I wanted to say about my teaching time. But basically from then on, I um, I did spend the next year basically I call it my floating year doing all sorts of random things which I'll get onto in in a minute but what I wanted to do um, put in there somewhere I can't remember when this was it was either at the end going close to the end of um, by the time I'd got it was definitely when I was at my seventh school Um, so either at the end of year two or the beginning of year three there was a big union um, like a union strike teachers union strike in Queensland at uh, somewhere in that time I went from like heart rate zero to a hundred within three seconds and I stood up, (laughs) waited for the microphone to come along. And I just had this overwhelming need at that point to just basically share my story in a few sentences so that all of these people who were there could hear. Mm -hmm. And it was something like right now I am, um, I'm in my second year or my third year. I'm at my seventh school in, I experienced seven schools in the year and a half. I haven't made any colleague friends. Every time I rock up to a new school, there's no resources. I've had to buy my new whiteboard markers. I've had to buy my new, you know, pencils, sometimes for the kids. I've had to buy my own tissues because 
there's no tissues that are in my classroom. I just thought that that might be a default thing that you would have in a classroom. I have done that now seven, uh, you know, seven times. I've spent my own money on this. I've also had contingency work where it hasn't just been consistent. I just felt I was just uh, like there couldn't have been anybody else in the room. I was just totally in my own head, just, you know, blurring out these things. They had, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, they must have had some kind of recording thing happening there at the time um, because I was contacted in the next week or a few weeks afterwards by the union people and they asked me and I went ahead with it and I actually wrote um, or was scribed for me and then I checked it um, an affidavit that went through to Parliament um, as a you know this is how difficult some teachers lives are yeah. kind of thing um, so I was very very proud of myself at that point for standing up standing up for myself but also standing up for my colleagues and you know just bringing about a little bit of awareness about just how tricky it can be for teachers in precarious work makes me think that um what you're doing now is sharing your story as well here like that and you sharing your story then as well like building that awareness that's part of who you are you know like Mm. um, you know something that is is meaningful to you fulfills your spirit so getting out, um, like when that forum finished up in the room, we then, all the teachers went out, like we're talking thousands of teachers here. Um, we were still kind of marching in the street with our batters and making a lot of noise. It was kind of like a bit of a parade really. But I felt like a celebrity because I had people coming up to me going, yeah, well done, you know, thanks thanks so much for sharing your story and all of that. And actually um, I one of the people that came up to me was my year two teacher from when I was in year two, Mr. Bennett. Yeah. He's like, April, wow, that was great. Yeah. Oh, well done you. It, it needed it, and just the fact that so many were coming up saying thank you. Um, obviously, it was a story everyone could relate to. All yeah, to so and and you had that um, courage and bravery to to share that. So yeah, well done. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on. So I had my year of floating yeah. um, at some point in, yeah, I'd actually, I'd moved back in home with my parents because I don't know, I just, I needed to get, I just needed a whole change really. And just mm-hmm. moving out, my, my um, housemate was a teacher as well. So I just wanted to kind of distance myself from that whole teacher. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about teaching all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved back home with my parents. So I must've been about 24 at that point. So things I did, I did some relief teaching. So like one on like one day here, one day there, different schools. Um, I also took some short term contracts, and sometimes that would be um, like you know two or three weeks at a time. There was quite a lengthy one in there, maybe like eight weeks or something. But same thing. I was I was still not at the realized at the time, but definitely kind of in some kind of burnout phase at that point. I also on a whim just went to a warehouse and bought a lot like hundreds of dollars worth of stuff made some jewelry and went and sold it at markets on like weekend Mm -hmm. markets Mm -hmm. Um, I made some handmade cards and sold them as well I signed myself up and I was a what's called an Enyo consultant and then at some point in there uh, basically like I would get so two and a half years of teaching one year of floating at so at three and a half years I then got into the travel industry okay yeah great I've yeah do remember it was like well I love traveling when I'm not working and doing life I'm traveling so why not do it as a job it sounds like it'd be fun 
yay, let's do it. Um, so I ended up working for one of the biggest travel agencies uh, based in Australia, but worldwide where they're in 20, 20 something countries. Um, in your first year, I think it's like maybe industry-wide, but definitely in this company, you're considered a novice. So you've got still got KPIs and all of that kind of stuff that you've got to kick, but it's reduced levels down from um, down from what a like I guess a big big person consultant would be and in there's this big uh, celebration called global so basically like I said this company 20 something countries around the world the top performers get to go to a location in the world and basically have a conference but a big party for three or four days straight travel agency Olympics <laughs> so from day dot I was like right game on let's do this and you have tears like hit something in the three months hit something in six months and then 12 months is pretty much it so yeah, I worked really yeah, I worked really hard <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know that from you know pretty soon in that maybe from like three months on in I was like I'm not April the teacher anymore I'm April the travel agent still living at home with mum and dad at that time and you know I would get up super early and get into work early and then stay late and not get home until dark like I was fully committed to making these KPIs. Mm. So is it like were you was there any kind of mental um consequence at the time with that adjustment from April the teacher to April the travel agent or did you find it was a, a, you know you were able to shift what that switch was like for you and, and what was going on in your mind at the time yeah um I thinking about it now I didn't really have any issues I was just it was really exciting for me to be so I'd been in I'd realized at that point I'd been in institutions my whole life from preschool mm-hmm primary school, straight into high school, straight into uni, straight back to schools to be an institution. And so switching from, um, you know, being a government employee, which generally doesn't really, like it's got perks, but it's not like, oh, hit these targets and you'll win something or, you know, there's no um, travel agent Olympics that you're trying to aim for. So yeah, yeah. The reward that you were hoping, you know, to see that growth in your kids, you weren't seeing that because you weren't getting that stability of um you know of, of a role where you could stay permanent um mm. and and even then the the role of a teacher has changed so much with all the expectations put on them and what they need to do that you often and all the challenges the kids have outside of the the classroom too in different you know of course in in different pockets but you know um yeah you're not seeing that reward you know to see that yeah. growth. so here you turn to an industry where oh there's something tangible i can work yeah. And that's part of your nature, seeing that reward that whatever yeah. that might be, the growth of the children. Yeah. Because that was actually, it's something, April, that my husband pointed out to me about my role and what what could have been contributing to my burnout in the psych industries. Because I got into it because I wanted to see growth in people. I wanted to help mm. people. I wanted to, and, and with the, you know, often we don't see that or the growth that we're expecting isn't how it looks, you know. And so we, you know, change perspective and it just depends on what area you're working in as well. You know, if you're working with very complex, um, you know, m- uh, mental health issues that and, and psychosocial issues that people, you're not, yeah, growth is not going to be how you think it's going to be. But he yeah. said you're someone who, you know, no fault to my own, I'm just someone who does need to see some sort of tangible growth. So needing to work in a way that that can be tapped a bit more, you know, and it was just interesting because he pointed that out to me and I was like, 
damn, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Story that, yeah, and this shift into the the travel industry where that was going to be more likely to get some sort of yeah, um, be able to tap into that reward um, that I'm, you know, that feedback that this yeah. is somewhere. Mm. And all of a sudden people needed me. Like, yeah, like they would come to me because it was something that they wanted to do. Like, you know, let's book a holiday Mm -hmm. to Bali. I can do that on the internet in five minutes, whatever, for me. But Mm -hmm. people just didn't know how to do it and they needed me. They needed the service there. So you were needed, valued. You could use your strengths, you Mm -hmm. know, um, your skills and rewarded as well. Like could see that what I'm doing here was, you know, um, pleasing to the to my customer. Yeah. Um, and you, how how long did you stay in that industry? You know, and, and what um, yeah, good. So, oh, and the other thing I was going to mention before, I'll mention it now, is that it was so it's in private sector, and mm. the world is your oyster, and it also doesn't matter how fast you you know fast or slow you want to move. But I had freedom. So, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that was I stepped up and was my was an assistant leader at six months so still novice but six months so assistant leader in my um in my shop um i ended up achieving i mentioned that before the so i i made global i achieved the you know the travel agent olympics and at that time it was like the first person in our area so areas were like 13 or 14 shops all kind of put into an area at that time i was actually i was the first person first novice Australia-wide to achieve that at the time that I started. So I was just on this magical, oh, my God, this is so great. I am even more of a travel agent now. I'm a travel agent, oh, but my name is April, and this teaching thing, what was that? Like, I, you know. <laughs> and what about your mental health? Did you notice changes or shifts there, like how you were feeling just overall? Um, of all the jobs I've done, so I've talked a lot about teaching, um, and then, you know, we've had different jobs since then. But, yeah, this was like – this was probably the best job I ever had. About a year and a half, I then stepped up again and I opened my own shop um, at a new location that was in, um, yeah, in the CBD in the city. Literally got to start it from the beginning and it was very, it was quite challenging. We've got all sorts of technical things that can go wrong with logging onto computers and getting onto systems and whatnot, but I handled it really well. Um, I also had one, two, probably two staff and then it kind of grew as well. Um, just every new consultant that came through my shop was basically brand new. So mm-hmm. not only was I running my own business, I actually had um, like a financial interest, a business ownership scheme in it as well. Um, so, yeah, it was like, you know, great. Yeah, very successful, very successful. And, and, and challenging yourself as well, like moving into business ownership, moving into training other people and interviewing training um helping them upskill like just and whilst retaining your clientele that you built up as well like that those are amazing story uh, amazing successes um, yeah. yeah yeah like whoa <laughs> and again were you with moving into the business ownership did you find you retained that same sense of well-being within that workspace? Like, or- Yeah. Oh, it was definitely challenging. And I definitely had moments when I would go home and go, oh, man, this is really hard and, you know, have a bit of a cry and whatever. But it wasn't to the same level as when I was teaching. It was kind of like every job has its ups and downs. And, yes, you are going to cry in a heap of ball every now and again. doesn't matter what you're doing. But this yeah. was like normal stuff, like a normal level of 
yeah. you know, crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I get you, yeah, because we're, we're built, as human beings, we are built to deal with acute stresses and yeah and and our body like crying is part of our body being able to regulate mm. um but if we're finding we're dysregulated in like an example and, and a symptom of that is you know certainly crying all the time there's something wrong either outside of us the external environment internal environment or a bit of both you know um that's contributing to that and but you were finding yeah in, in this environment in this workspace in your life at the time yeah it it was normal you know mm. yeah it was um yeah ticking all the buttons maybe <laughs> yeah not, not not any of the really bad ones kind of thing yeah and all those I things th- you mentioned before freedom reward hmm. um you know something that is interest that you connect to and challenging as well like still you know meeting goals and and being rewarded for that too being able to move up the ranks you know um yeah. movement you know because that's something I mean, not everyone wants that in their career, but for those who do, they need that movement, that yeah. movement and opportunity to move or else that can cause burnout too, you know, that lack of being able to, there's a, a name for it, um, forgotten, like um, there's, there's, sub, there's one researcher that way back looked into categorising different types of burnout, mm-hmm. um, three types there's not I think a lot of research behind it to really say okay there's these different types but it's interesting um yeah. they're often due to different elements of the workspace and I think one of them's due to not being able to move up and, yeah progress and challenge, be challenged enough yeah, yeah. progress. Yeah. anyway so sorry and, your, your, yeah. so yeah there was I guess two more things I wanted to say about that part of my I guess career and also the travel industry career at that point mm-hmm. um, because I then I still continued it but I moved overseas um, I think really two really good factors that contributed to my success were was that number one the philosophies and vision and mission and all of those kind of you know high level um, employee goals instilled in that company was that yeah the basically the world is your oyster and if you want to go like if you wanted to be a consultant for a while but then you wanted to try something else in head office you could there was like egalitarianism everyone could speak to everyone there's not this hierarchy um and you know if you want to go and try something else then you can talk to the right people and you can go there there was no restriction not really any restrictions on that so all of a sudden there was freedom and you could see development like if you wanted to go and do it you could and the other parts um, and I hope that person ends up listening to this podcast the area manager that I had at the time um, during like basically from the start and then all the way through just before I left and moved overseas um, they were in terms of people person I have never met anybody I've been seeking and I failed so far to find someone who just had it like they had their faults but they had it all together they were people they just that person understood me and they understood everybody else and she was that type of leader that was transformational meaning mm-hmm. like well or, um but also about seeing the strengths in the, in the people that she works with and helping them towards whatever it is that they're wanting which there's another word for that and interesting enough um lead uh, people who are working under or with leaders who are like that are more likely to not burn out Ah, yeah. So I, um, I think that was maybe like a three year, three and a half years here in Australia, one and a half in my first shop, and then two years managing this store. 
Um, and then at that point, so my leader had moved on. She went on mat leave. Um, and then we had some new leaders. But at that point, I'd already decided that, you know, I wanted to move overseas anyway. Outside of life, um, uh, my husband and I were getting married. So right at, we got married at the end of December in 2014. Mm-hmm. And then we'd been setting it up for months beforehand. But basically in 20, January of 2015, we mm-hmm. were a month month young of marriage we packed all our suitcases sold all of our stuff um went on a little bit of an extended honeymoon um, and basically we flew to the other side of the world and started our married life over in Canada (laughs) said this company I worked for around the world Canada was one of the places so I had networked and worked out I had a job to go to I was working for the same company but when it got to the end of that two years of being a team leader and opening the store I was like you know what I've worked um, I've only really worked under one leader, like direct team leader who's in my shop every day. Mm. And then when I took the next step and opened my own shop, I was the person and pretty much I was faking it till I made it most days, you know, and you just kind of go along, made a mistake. Oh, yep, I'm going to do this differently the next time. Mm. I decided at that point I wanted to take a step back because I wanted to see, I wanted to work under other leaders so mm. that I could see, um, you know, develop some more skills and just see other ways of doing things playing around with that for a while so like I said I worked there for uh, yeah 12 months I started off in a store just as just as a consultant just you know consultant no leadership or anything like that Um, but I really struggled like I didn't hit my targets I didn't even hit sometimes I wouldn't even get like maybe a quarter or a third to targets in terms of financials which was distressing for me because I'd come from you know doing quite well in Australia but it was um, six months in the first job um, yeah, and I was struggling and I went to my leader, my team leader at the time and I was like, look, I know that this is not, this is not really working. Like, what is it? You're sitting next to me. You're listening to me talking to, you know, your people, I guess, you know, the Canadians. What is it about me? What, what can I change? Mm-hmm. And they didn't really have an answer. They were just, they were really, they were very high performing consultant and very high performing mm-hmm. leader. And um, the rest of the team was really great and I kind of sucked. But I was like, what specific feedback can you give me? And they just didn't know. At one point, they got really frustrated at me and said, just be better, just be better. And I'm like, I want to be better, but you need to tell me what it is that I need to be better at so that I can do it. So after six months, I was like, hmm. I don't really feel that great around here. This, you know, I'm not really feeling good. But there was a um, a another job going at a different store, um, an assistant level, uh, assistant team level. <laughs> so stepping up again, I couldn't help it. I just I was a go getter. I wanted to you know step up and just do something different. Um, so I did move stores and worked there for six months. I, like I mentioned, that leader that I had in Australia before, and I think mm-hmm. I was searching for not the you know the exact same thing again, but just something that was on the same level of inspiration, but a different aspect. And I just I didn't find it in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, leader in the second store, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just, they weren't very like clear and clarity with what I needed to do in terms of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're still assistant, so it's like you're the middleman. You here's your boss, and then here's the colleagues you're leading. But then there's still that, um, you know, that middle, like the communication between. And so sometimes I just found it a little bit confusing as to what their direction was and how do I assist that. Mm. So 
Um, yeah, probably from about nine months onwards, like nine months being in Canada, uh, my husband and I were started talking about, oh, when we move back to Australia, we'll do this. And when we go back to Brisbane, we'll do that. And we're like, yeah, it's probably, that's probably an indication that we know that we're ready to go back now. Yeah. So during that time, like that was 40 days from leaving Toronto to get back here to Brisbane. Um, and I did a lot of you know, soul searching. What am I going to do? Like I've got enough contacts. I could get a job back in the same, same company, same industry. But I was like, no, I'm just, I don't know. I think I've done my time now. I think I've done my time for doing that. Um, so what ended up happening was there was a two or two and a half week or three week or something contract going with a government agency that was back in the education space um, based in, in the city. Um, so not like not parent and not child facing. Um, it was a regulation and compliance role and it was yeah three weeks. And he steam rolled into, all right, we need you for another three months. That took yeah. me through to about October. All right, we need you for another three months. Um, so still contingency work again. And um, Blake and I were still, you know, just back from overseas. We had no furniture for anything. We were just still finding our feet. And then three weeks, three months, three months, then six months, and all, and then another six months. So that job ended up being back-to-back contracts, and it went on from May of 2016 through to December of 2017. Um, and then at that time um they just whatever pulled all the contracts um I then ran out of a job but I also had a little bit of time there like maybe three months where I knew okay I I'm not going to have a job I need to search for something else um but yeah same thing again it was a quite a high paying job but contingency work and okay great I'm going to have money for the next three months but then what am I going to do after that and, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. Um, I've also married. We can't just move in with parents because, you know, two people moving into the one space with, you know, older parents now. What are we going to do? Um, ability again that you had been in an early life with that contract work with, with teaching. Now in later in life where you're, you know, things have changed. You're married. You've got a family now. Not kids, but, I mean, I, I, I yeah. see marriage as a family. You, you yeah. created a unit. And so that instability of those uh, contract jobs may not be, can weigh on us more, you know. Yeah, that's right. In terms of our our well-being because it's not quite fitting anymore. Not to say it didn't back then either, you know, it was. Mm. said, you know, certainly that survival mode and, you know, um, next job and everything like that. But, yeah, different times. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that I was thinking about and I ended up doing um, was I thought, oh, I want to I want to see what HR is about, mm-hmm. um, human resources. Mm-hmm. So um, we got back in April of 2016 and then in July I started a graduate certificate in business mm-hmm. um, at QUT and I had um, – so a grad cert was going to take me – I was doing it part-time because I was working full-time at that point. Um, mm-hmm. It took me 12 months to finish the four units that I needed to and it just opened my eyes. It was kind of like that – I learned a lot of things about HR and people management and leadership. And it's kind of like, oh, chicken and the egg. If I had known this stuff that I know now, but when I was managing at the travel agency, could I have been a better leader? Probably. But I also needed to go through at that time without having those skills or knowledge and fumble my way through it and make mistakes and learn from them. You know, it's there's so many things in life that are like that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you... 
like yeah you either way you went with an attitude of learning mm. you know like you learned through your experience and the mistakes you made but you use that as your springboard for learning and okay yeah going to and doing these courses yes you're learning a whole other things that yeah it could have obviously added value but either way you were you have the attitude of learning um yeah in your role which not everyone necessarily does so you know in your and I loved it I love studying I've realized you know that I'm gonna do it till the day I die we're in mm-hmm. Australia here we've got um it used to be called hex but now it's mm-hmm. called help the help debts mm-hmm. I know exactly how much how many thousands of dollars I can borrow from the government in the meantime mm-hmm. until I can you know use up all of that so it's definitely going to be a lifelong I'm definitely a lifelong learner mm-hmm. um but I was actually I was really really good at it I was so interested in it I had really great connections with my lecturers and you know they would sort me like it would be so great to walk into a room of all these you know random but QT is very big it's very diverse you've got mm. lots of overseas people but just to walk in and they're like oh hi April how are you going the le- like having that connection with the lecturers just made it really good um and in terms of like you know I was good at it I got straight sevens like straight mm-hmm. high distinctions mm-hmm. and you know that's for people who aren't into not really sure like that's the highest mark you can yeah. get so yeah yeah so, so again like sort of in a space you know, that where you're achieving again, there's rewards, outcomes that what I'm doing, but also aligned with your interests. You love to learn Mm. and learning new things and, and applying it to your experiences that there was a lot of things that were fulfilling. So in terms of your health and wellbeing during that time, I mean, um, how, how was it? You know, I think at that time, uni was definitely, it was something that I could um, control and you know I had certain papers I needed to write and I knew when the due dates were and you know it's something that I'm interested in and I'm in control of writing it at my own pace whereas you know I was still working in the government contracts at that time and that was completely out of my control um the workplace in terms of that too um my manager at the time was a little bit like there were just certain things going on that I just either didn't agree with or um and but you don't really have compared to you know private sector being coming from travel agency where the world's your oyster and you can have it tomorrow kind of thing mm-hmm. going back into the slow pace of black and white policy and procedure was a quite a struggle for me yeah so that side of things yeah if that was all that there was is you know that could have had a you know, huge even more of an impact on your mental and, and emotional well-being at the time having the university as an that- outlet yeah, it would have, I, I suppose, created some buffer zone to the effects of, yeah, not to say obviously the stuff at work not affecting you. Of course it would, but yeah. a buffer zone, yeah, because yeah. of that outside world, yeah, well, that other world, yeah. I think that's yeah. what they call it, other world. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, a space that does light you up and gives something back, is aligned with what, yeah, what makes you light up, yeah. Mm. So we're now at the end of, so it's December 2017. I'd known for about two months that the contract was ending and I needed a new job. Um, And right now we're in, you know, kind of getting to the end of 2023 and there's more jobs than people. But back then it was the opposite times. There were 100 applicants per job. Long story short, it was very, a very tumultuous time. I started writing down just to keep a track of what jobs I'd applied for, what dates, have I had feedback, whatever, 108 job applications between, you know, let's say call it maybe October of 2020, uh, 27, 
2017, sorry, 17. Um, and then I ended up getting a job, but not through any of the jobs that are any of the job applications. It was someone who reached out on Facebook and said, Hey, um, my company's recruiting. Do you want to come? So I ended up getting that role, but 108 applications. And then I started the training with this new role in April. So there were about three to four months there where I wasn't working. And that was, that was taxing on my emotional yeah. and mental and whatever. Yeah. My husband, um, he had a, a like a consistent job at that time and it was, we still didn't have a car. So we were walking. Uh, he walked to work from this Brisbane CBD to his place. And so in the morning I would get up and put my walking gym gear on and walk to work with him um, and then walk back home and sit there and do another job application. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty tough. Yeah. Was the walking because uh, I know you've probably heard this too and a lot of people out there has probably heard of this, that movement is so helpful during trying periods or even as a continual well-being strategy, like, you know, to, to help support us. But certainly in those times where things are tough having um, and walking with your husband as well, you know, um, I was just wondering, was that a routine that you found, yeah, supported, helped you in some way or? Um, that's, that's fine? I think so. Because otherwise I was like the alternative, if I didn't get up and walk with him, I wasn't going to do it myself. I needed, you know, I wasn't going to go out and walk by myself the whole way. I'd walk halfway, drop him off and then walk back. But if I had just stayed around in bed, that would have been uh, um, probably a, a road going down like full on depression. Exactly. Because yeah. then you're like, oh. Oh, I really have to, I don't have any children at this point and I also don't have my husband here. Like, it's just me. I don't have any pets. What is the point of getting out of bed? No, oh, there is none. I just I can just stay here. And he's not going to come home until 5, so really I could have a shower at 4.30 and he won't know. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that was pretty dangerous. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's it's so great that you did do that. What seems quite minuscule but monumental, like, mm. in terms of if you did the opposite. So I'm so grateful that that was something that you could do and did do. So this is a call center mm-hmm. um, and it's for one of the Australian, I guess, banks, companies, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I was basically selling insurance, do this job in my sleep, mm-hmm. um, which was great in the beginning because in our little bit of a teams, we were all kind of you know set up in our, each of our teams. Teams would have somewhere between maybe six to 12 people in them. And then mm-hmm. um, there were maybe like 10 teams on our call center floor. So it's quite a, like a busy workplace. You're talking about maybe 100 people. I found really, really draining and really stifling and really frustrating about this is move forward about 12 months and the people who I trained with who then all had kind of split out to these different teams, um, they, some of them are trained up in other products. So then all of a sudden they're selling six, seven, eight different things. Um, I was still back on selling two things. And that was just so distressing and stifling for me Mm. having had done the study the postgraduate study and knowing about management and leadership and how Mm. how workplaces should be and line Mm. managers should be I had this I guess different different perspective on life like I said um Mm. you know being able to talk to evidence-based research um and you know you know, we should try doing things like this and the evidence shows blah, 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 and this company did this, that kind of level of stuff. Um, It wasn't because of my lack of trying. I went to my manager so many times and I said, I, like I actually said, I was getting braver at this point because I'm getting older and more knowledgeable. I am so bored. 
I come to work and I'm so bored. I just want to learn stuff. Oh, no, but, you know, the rules around here are that you need to do just two products in your first 12 months. No, <laughs> no, I am bored. I want to do something different. Um, uh, I then went to the you know, same level but different manager in a different team and I was like, look, I'm just, I feel like I'm just turning up to work and just being, I'm being a robot. Yeah. And, you know, we've been banging on about, you know, our company values are we're talking to humans here and we've got to, you know, people can do this stuff online. They can do it themselves, but they call in because they need something extra. I'm doing this extra. I'm making this conversation with them, but I need more. Yeah, you were stifled. You weren't finding. Mm. And I think, you know how I talked about earlier, these subtypes of burnout. I think they call it the frenetic type. But there's this one type, whatever the name is, where, yeah, you people are saying they're bored, you know, that they're not, um, it, it's not that sort of chronic stress of emotion or might be emotional exhaustion, but it's more like that meaning, that spirit is being stifled yeah. because there's not that opportunity for growth. And and that wasn't want for your, your speaking up, you're letting your line managers, your people know that I need more. But then the system itself, yeah, the workplace, well, nah, you've got to stay here because of this arbitrary rule. Yeah, and they're going to lose someone and, and your health and well-being suffers. Um, yeah, and I'd even, you know, in a brave way, like in a brave way for me, courageous way, but also in a polite and work-appropriate way, I would say, all right, well, this 12-month rule, I, un- I, I don't understand. I appreciate that it's there, but why can't, why is it the rule there? Like why? Tell me a reason why. Sometimes they couldn't tell me. It was just because, oh, just because. It's all the, the way that we've always done it, so we're just going to stick with it. And I was like, well, I think it's BS, but okay. Just everything with this particular role, I would just try to make it interesting, um, but just didn't. it was falling on deaf ears. Um, it was just, for me, so stifling. My husband at the at the time, he's still my husband. My <laughs> husband at the time, my husband said, "Look, just go there, pretend you're a robot, and then you know it's paying the bills." Um, and I'm like, I just, I would try. I would get three hours into doing that, and I would just crack. I'm just like, I, I know that people, you know, just go to work and do their jobs to pay money to, you know, get money to pay the bills. I am not like that. I just cannot do it. I cannot fake it. I when there needs to be something. And that's, uh, and I'm glad you shared that because there's going to be other people out there that are the same or even maybe still pushing themselves to be that person. But just some of us are not wired that way. We're not wired to be able to be nine to fivers or, you know, go to a job and be a robot. Some people are, it's great, whatever. Like, and, you know, but if we're noticing, I always think of our well-being as a great indicator whether an environment's fitting for us or not, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if you're finding, as you said, stifled, and you know, okay, do something about it where you can, which you were trying, but you were where um in our workplaces we're limited by what the company, what the you know, um the workplace or whatever other system factors are at play that we we can't make that change. And that's when if we are in that position to be able to is is yeah, leave, you know, um for our well being sake, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we just what I think of the square peg in a round hole two legs like we can't keep trying to shove that in there if it's not working it's not working yeah um, and it's okay um it's okay but at the same time it's frustrating yeah and um that a place can't change yeah to yeah yeah to yeah when, when it, it could it could it could yeah it's not that they can't they could change that rule if they want especially when they didn't even know why they had it in the first place yeah <laughs> yeah 
Anyway, um, so where did you go from there? Like, yeah, so my ticket out of there was uh, maternity leave. Oh, so great. So happy to be coming a parent, but also, um, yeah, I was like, great. So I know I, you know, rules and regulations in terms of what we're entitled to here in Australia. I was like, right, what's the earliest 32 weeks? I'm going to leave at 32. So yes, happy, excited. I made, actually, it popped up as a memory on Facebook for me the other day. At some point in time, I made a paper chain and I hung it on the back of, we were living in an apartment at the time, so like on the second level, so on the back of my door um, that went in and out of our apartment. So a paper chain that indicated how many days left I had until I was going on leave. Um, and I see that as, you know, people have rituals that they do. So my ritual was I would come home from a day of work, go into the apartment, close the door, look at the paper chain, and I would just take great joy in ripping one of those little chains off. And eventually over time, like I started when I had like 108 days left. And if you have, if you make a paper chain with 100 days or 108, that's big. <laughs> that's long. It needs multiple hooks at the top, but slowly, 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 I ripped one off every day and I got to the point where it wasn't touching the ground anymore. Uh, and then I was out there. <laughs> Oh, what an amazing ritual to do that it sounds like actually really helps support you getting through that difficult time of staying yes. in this job um, to a point in which you could, you know, for, for fi you know, financial and all that, be able to leave. Um, uh, yeah, like. And that was, that was what it was like for me. If I hadn't, it's kind of like when you start a new job in the beginning and it, you know, you're in that honeymoon phase and everything's great. You're learning lots. And then, you know, that, that, you know, dies off and depending on what kind of job and what your personality is, sometimes it can die off at the the mm -hmm. second day. Sometimes yeah. it can be um, the, you know, two-week mark. Sometimes it's a few months. Um, but, yeah, I was well into this job. So honeymoon, pff, definitely over. Um, also, you know, the whole stifling thing. So it was kind of like the reverse honeymoon going out uh, at the other side. Um, but when you've got, you know, still three or four months left to go, like that can seem like a really, really long time. So that was why I was like, I need something that's visual and I need something that's like uh, methodolic, methodology, like literally close the door. Okay. Rip the piece of paper burn it, put it in the bin, whatever you want to do, and then just move on, go and have a shower and just forget about work that day. Uh, so, yeah, but having, but maternity leave, having your, your um, bub, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, finished up at 32 weeks and then this is like maybe that's uh, somewhere in the like first one to 10, first to the 10th of August or something like that. And my due date was 22 September. Um, so I was like, yeah, I get to sit around, you know, do the whole nesting thing. His room was pretty much set up. We didn't know it was going to be a boy or a girl at that point, but the baby's room was pretty much set up. But I was like, ah, I just get to sit around and do cross stitch and all the creative things for the next five weeks. Um, so I finished up on a Thursday. On the Saturday, we drove to Noosa to have our, um, like our, I guess, last little baby moon. Um, yeah, Thursday, we came home on Wednesday. And then Thursday I woke up and I was like, I'm leaking. So went to my obstetrician. Yep, you're leaking. You need to go and check into the hospital because we you know, risk of infection. We just want to make sure everything's okay. Um, so checked into the hospital on the um, Thursday. 
long story short, got to the Monday. Okay, you can be discharged if you want. Um, first time mum, so I didn't really know, but I just had this inkling. I'm like, you know what? No, I don't want to check out today. And then he was born Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Wow. <laughs> Five weeks early. <laughs> um, so, yeah, life changed very quickly from, you know, last, you know, been about a week since I finished up work. I thought I had all this time. Now, all of a sudden, I'm the mum. And, you know, I handled that pretty well. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a pretty big shock to, oh, my God. Yeah, Game on. Yeah, the transition from that job. And so arduous those last, you know, three to four months too. And like it sounded like even with what, when you're sharing the story, it sounded like that break, that time between, you know, um, leaving work to having Bob was really needed just to, yeah, you know, like yeah. reconnect to some of those other things. And But, yeah, you didn't have that time in between. Um, And so, yeah, even though, yeah, like you said, you handled that very, you know, obviously very uncertain time with the birth there um, and everything's going to be okay, that that in itself. But, yeah, not having that transition, not having that. Yeah, and, yeah, just the time for the whole, the mental mental and cognitive side that you need generally to kind of prepare Mm -hmm. for this whole, all right, I've been making this baby for how many months now? It's It's going to come out. I just need time to work out what that means. Thank you for listening to When Burnout Becomes Reality podcast. This pod relies on the power of its listeners to push it out to the four corners of the earth in hope that it reaches as many people in need as possible. So please like, share, follow, comment, or leave a review. Pay it forward, and I will be forever grateful. If you'd like to share your burnout to recover experience or you are an expert working in the burnout field and would like to share your wisdom on the pod, please email me at shannonswales at burnoutpsychologysupport.com. To keep up to date with episode releases, please follow us on your favorite podcast provider or by joining our mailing list at www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com. To check out the Burnout Psychology Services on offer at Burnout Psychology Support, my telehealth practice, visit www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com forward slash psychology services. Once again, thank you for listening and please take care of yourself. Bye for now.